Anyway, now I think we're all set to go here. Amen. Luke 24. Now we're going to be in this uh, few scriptures. Uh, I'm in here mainly this morning. So if you keep your finger there, I'm going to go to other places. But uh, mainly I'm going to be there. Uh, Luke 24, starting with the first verse. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I think that's what I, which one I got this morning. So if it reads a little bit different, that's okay. It kind of gets the idea of it. So anyway, Luke, 24 chapter, beginning with verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of our Lord. While they were wondering about, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. Now, we have, may have a tendency to look past this scripture where it says there were two angels there. But if you know your Old Testament, then you'd be reminded of Deuteronomy 9.15 where it says that um, the facts of a case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if you want to know why there was two angels there, Go back to the Old Testament, it tells us, so that the facts of the case, so they had two angels verifying the fact that Jesus wasn't there and reminding them of that. And, of course, back then the law wasn't as um, perverted as it is now. Nowadays they hire witnesses to lie. Back then they, it was a little harder to lie in back in those days. I don't know whether it was because of some, I don't have no idea why, but anyway. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, all things shall be established. Uh, verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised. Then they remembered his words, Remember his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Jonan, Mary, the mother of James, and others who told, who told his disciples. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to be like nonsense. nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, my text this morning is going to be from verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, a couple things I just want to make note of. We have a tendency, and we have a lot of skeptics that say to us, they say, well, Jesus was, didn't spend three days in the tomb. How could he be in the tomb three days when he was, he was put there on uh, Friday or Friday night on the Sabbath, according to the Jewish thing, and then raised, raised on the Sunday? It didn't make any sense. Well, we've got to remember, it's kind of like if we're born... On, if we have a twin, if, you, if you're born a twin, you have one sister that's born five minutes before midnight, and the other one's born five minutes after midnight, they all are, both of them are born on a different day. Is that correct? That's your birthday. Well, that's kind of a similar thing here. Jesus was placed in the tomb before sundown, the day before the Sabbath. So he was in, they figure he died around three o'clock in the afternoon, and he was placed in the tomb at six o'clock. So that's one day that they count. And at six down the day, it's six p.m. on sundown. That's when the day changes in the Jewish in the Jewish culture. Okay, so you go all the way through the Sabbath day, and then the next morning, past which is past the next day, it's after six p.m. that following day on the Sabbath, 
That's, that's another day. So on the third day, he was risen from the dead. So you can kind of get that straight, because I've had people try to trip me up on that. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it does if you understand the culture, and you understand even our cultures that way. So anyway, just thought you'd be interested in that. And, um, and the reason they didn't listen to the women so much was back in that culture, I said, Jesus changed the culture of, of Christianity and religion. He's the one that changed it. So we as women are free to be able to participate in the gospel or be able to do a lot of things that we, they weren't allowed to back then. Women back then weren't even allowed to testify in court. So if you had a witness to something, a woman couldn't be one of them. So they thought that women, all they did is run around and gossip and tell things that weren't true. That was kind of the reputation, you know, that a lot of women had. So, but Jesus changed all that. He included us and made us equal in the gospel. And we all stand equal at the foot of the cross. So don't let anybody tell you any wise different. I know we live in a society that they want to change women and their position into something that Jesus didn't make us to be. They say, well, women aren't supposed to teach. Women aren't supposed to do this. Women aren't supposed to do that. Because they've got their, their stuff. They're still in the old culture. They don't remember what Jesus did. Jesus sat, women sat at Jesus' feet and were taught. And that wouldn't, wouldn't have been allowed by their culture. And yet there they are. And the women were the ones that were the most faithful to Jesus' ministry. So Jesus loved the women because they, they are the ones that have kept the gospel going in a lot of places. They're the first ones that the angels appeared to. Don't you think that's kind of neat? They're the first ones that seen Jesus was a woman. The first one that heard the message that he's not here, he's arisen, was a woman. Praise the Lord. Because they had a softer heart toward Jesus. I don't know, I don't, I'm not saying they loved him any more than Jesus, but they were, had a softer heart towards the gospel and towards Jesus. And there's so many churches that I've been in throughout my life that women are the ones that are holding things together. If they don't have a pastor, who's doing it? It's usually the women because the men... They don't have enough men willing to, to do those kind of things. So anyway, well, I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but just so it kind of give you some little bit of information there. Now, verse 5 said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, a man who's walking down the street, and he went to this one place, and he seen one of the little neighborhood boys down on his hands and knees, and he was kind of crawling around and whatever, and he, he says to him, he says, Jimmy, did you lose something? And he says, yes, I lost the, the dollar that Mama gave me for ice cream, you know. And he was kind of broken up about that. And, and the guy kind of felt, well, oh, no, man, I'll help you look for it. So he get, the man gets down on his hands and knees, and he's helping him look. And he looks for a while, he looks for a little light. It was dark, and they, you know, where they were looking was under a street light, so they could, act, you know, they could see where they were looking. And the man, you know, he's getting a little frustrated. He says, you know, he says, I don't seem to see it, Jimmy. What, are you sure this is where you lost it? And he says, well, no, I lost it over there on the vacant lot. And he says, well, if you lost it over there, what are you doing looking over here? And he says, well, there's more light over here, and I can see better. That kind of makes it kind of ridiculous, but no matter how hard Jimmy looked for his dollar under that street light, he was never going to find it because he was looking in the wrong place. If he wanted to find his dollar, he had to go where he lost it. <clears throat> And no matter how sincere he was, no matter how hard he looked, no matter what he did, it wasn't going to make any difference. He would never find the dollar. <clears throat> Just as these three women had came to the tomb to look for Jesus, they wasn't going to find him because he wasn't there. And they didn't really understand it, even though Jesus told them time after time after time, 
that they were, he was going to rise from the dead, they didn't hear that part. They, they didn't hear anything because it was tied on to the fact that he was going to have to die. And they didn't want to talk about their, their, their Jesus dying. No, 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 no. He's been everything that we wanted. We don't want to talk about this. So we throw everything out. Isn't that what we kind of do too? We don't want to hear about some of the bad stuff or some of the stuff that disagrees with maybe our personal doctrine. We're so wrapped up in the, in the things that come after that, we forget about the stuff that comes before it. And so that's kind of what this woman was doing. And we have a whole world today that's looking for life in the wrong places. They're looking for life in religion or works. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about that over this last week about works. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace have you been saved through faith, and is not from yourself, is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it isn't works that's going to get us saved. Works isn't going to give us life. It isn't going to create life in us. If works could make it done, then Jesus died in vain. Jesus wasted his time coming and suffering and dying on the cross if works would do it. And if works could do it, how would you know when you did enough? Is it ten works? Does that do it? Is it five? Is it six? Or what if I'm not able to do works? The thief on the cross didn't have a chance to do any works. And yet Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today, all he had time to do was confess Jesus and accept him into his heart. And he was actually the first convert to salvation. Now that really rocks our boat, doesn't it? It should be some pious religious person that would be the first one that's saved. No, it was a condemned criminal. And so he was the first one that experienced salvation. And he didn't have time to do works. So we need to make sure that we don't get involved in that because there's a lot of religions that are based on works. And they use it to get people to do things that, that they don't really want to do. Oh, you've got to do this because you're supposed to do works because it's going to make you higher in the kingdom or it's going to do all these other kind of things for you. We do good works because we're saved, not to get saved. And we got the cart before the horse. And there's so many religions that has the cart before the horse. And we want to say, you got to do works to be saved. No, as Christians, we do works because we're saved. And there's a difference. I do a lot of things for my husband I'm not required to do. Sometimes I even fix his favorite meal and I don't burn it. But I don't cook his meals and do all those things because I'm obligated to do. I do it because I want to. I love him and I want to do things to please him. And that's the same thing that happens with God. God changed my life. He saved me. He redeemed me. And I can't help but do some things because you want to. When you love someone, you want to do stuff for them. We, we have our kids and we do things for our kids. Not to earn their affection, but because we love them. It isn't how many good, good things we do that makes any difference. But we are saved to do good works. And a lot of people get those things mixed up. Now, I'm not going to go any further than that because we had a whole week of it. Another thing is, uh, you know, we kind of hit a little bit was if it took, was all you got to do is say a little prayer. I know we dealt with that too. But I asked the question this morning, if all it took was saying a little prayer to be saved, then man, I'd write a prayer down and I'd go to every single one of my loved ones and say, hey, read this prayer. That's all it takes. 
If I can just get my loved ones to read this prayer, if I can just get my loved ones to say this, then they're all saved. And then within a week, my whole family would be saved. Everybody I knew would be saved if that's all it took. How about you if that's all it took? That'd be easy. Here, I'll give, the kid, give my kids here, I'll give you 20 bucks if you read this prayer. <laughs> Some of them you'd have to pay them to read it, right? <laughs> but if that's all it took. Now that sounds ridiculous, but yet that's the same thing that, that we, try, we, we think. Our faith is in the prayer. Our faith needs to be in Christ. And he's the one, the only one that can change us. And he's the one that we have to give our life to. And it isn't lip service God wants. He wants heart service. And when you have heart service, you know the difference. I lived religion a lot of years of my life, and I didn't get it. And I went to church, and I did all these things, thinking that was what I needed to do. Because I wanted to stand before God one day, and I could say, well, I went to church every Sunday. I went to Bible study. I even went to a women's prayer meeting. Boy, am I pious in religion. Aren't you proud of me, Jesus? But the reality is none of that stuff matters until you accept him as Savior. And I'm thankful that, that one, there came a time in my life, and I just wish that I got this 20 years before I did. Because I think, man, I wasted most of my life. I didn't get saved till I was 40 years old. So I wasted a whole, whole years of my life that I could have been serving God, and I don't know what God could, would have been able to do in my life if I would have done that. But it doesn't matter because, see, I didn't get it. I had head knowledge. But 22 years ago, I got heart knowledge. And that's what matters. It's the heart knowledge. It's the knowledge that comes in here, and it's the knowledge of God coming into your life and the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And you finally get it and say, it isn't works. It isn't what I do. It's accepting him and believing in him. That's the only thing that's going to create life in me. And I don't have to walk around like I'm dead. I can walk around with life in my heart. And when you walk around with life in your heart, people know the difference. I used to work with a lot of dead people. Man, I hate being around death, don't you? You wouldn't know it. Our society was fascinated with death. They hang, around, hang out around death. We watch all these gory movies and we watch death, 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 death because we love death. But see, when Christ comes into our life, he brings life. And all of a sudden, we don't like death anymore because death isn't something that we want to have happen to people that we know or that we love, even though it's a fact of life for the Lord tarries. <clears throat> James 1, 26 says, if anyone considers himself religion, religious, if anyone considers himself a Christian, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and a religion isn't, is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts are as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. See, when we become Christians, we want to keep ourselves polluted from the world, whatever that means. Now, each one of us, that may mean different things. But there's a lot of things in here that are common to everyone. And all you got to do is go to the Ten Commandments to find out the things that are common to everybody. We have to love God. We're not supposed to murder. Didn't say kill. They translate it kill. And so we have these conscientious objectors that say, I can't kill anybody. But it says, thou shalt not murder anybody. And there's a difference between killing somebody in war than there is murdering somebody. So we have to know that anyway. And all the other ones to find out what we're supposed to be doing. 
Now, religion does have its place. I don't want to say that it doesn't because we need religion. But religion is important after you become a Christian. It doesn't get you there. We need religion to help us, guide us, and direct us, and help us know some of the things we should do and not do. Because we live in a society that's completely different from 2,000 years ago. And sometimes we need somebody to say, hey, if you're, you need to purify your life. If you're still smoking cigarettes, then all right, ask God to give you the grace and the strength to quit. And other things in your life, because he wants to clean you up. Now, God doesn't ask you to take a shower before you take a bath. So God's the one that's got to clean us up. But our lives want to be different, and religion helps us. Not to judge you, not to condemn you, but to help you. Because I didn't know what sin was until I got saved. I didn't know those things, and then I went to the church, went to church, and they started teaching me some things. And I started applying them to my life and realized how important religion is. But it has to be a true religion. It can't be a religion that follows a man. It's got, unless that man is Jesus himself. That's the only man that we need to follow. And anyone else says, follow me, or I'm the one you're supposed to worship, I'm the one that's supposed to do this. Hey, get away from there as fast as you can. Anytime there's a man involved, and the man is the one that determines whether or not you've done enough good works, or a man is in charge of the one who decides if you're saved or not, flee. Come to some place where you know that they follow Christ. And whatever Christ says, I don't care. I read this Bible a lot. I've studied a lot over the years. And I know it probably a lot, of be- a lot better than a lot of people do. But there's still stuff in here I don't know. I don't know everything that's in here. I, and, but if you show it to me in here, I believe it. See, I already decided this is God's word, period, whether I like it or not. And sometimes I read it, and I get a little prick in my heart and say, see, you've got to do, got to do something with that. got to do something with that. That's the Holy Spirit convicting me. Not condemning me, convicting. There's a difference. Condemning us makes us feel guilty, and, and we just kind of feel ashamed and whatever. But conviction is God telling us, hey, this is something, you know, you've been a Christian long enough. You need to start dealing with some of these things. You need to get rid of this. Because we have, there's a lot of things we have to do as Christians. We have to get away with, throw out the, the old life and live a new life. And if we want to hang on to everything that's in our own life, then we need to get saved. Because when I got saved, I didn't want that old life. I didn't like any part of that old life. I was forced to walk in it until my husband got saved because, well, that's just the reality of life. We can't run off and hide somewhere. We have to walk in the world but we don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh. We don't have to do what the world does. And we have life in our hearts. We can do that. These women were looking for a dead Jesus, and the angel had to redirect them. See, and the same thing happens to us. See, we get so involved in problems in our life or um, things that are going on in our life that we forget about a lot of things, and we think, hey, we serve a dead Jesus. And we get so wrapped up in our problems and our grief that we don't know what Jesus said because we don't read his word. We don't go to church or we don't read his word as much as we should. So how are we supposed to know what Jesus said? See, this women, these women knew what Jesus had said about him rising for the dead. They knew that. They'd heard him say it. I don't know how many times. It was mentioned at least six times in the Gospel of Luke where this is coming out of. I don't know if you totaled them all up how many there was. But I think that if Jesus kept mentioning it, you'd think you'd have got it. But they didn't get it because they didn't want to hear the message. When we read the word, we say, God, open my heart to your word that I may be able to read it and consume it 
and let it change my life. Uh, in Luke 23, which is back just a chapter from where you're at, in uh, verse 55 and 56, number, this is out of the Message Bible, it says, The woman who had been companions of Jesus from Galilee followed him along, and they saw the tomb where Jesus' body was placed. Then they went back to prepare burial spices. They rested quietly on the Sabbath as commandment. These women didn't go to the tomb expecting Christ to be erased from the dead. They went to the tomb expecting to find a dead body. This was a shock to them. They didn't expect it. See, they didn't have faith in Jesus' resurrection at all. They weren't expecting it. The first ones that were skeptics in the Bible was the ones that were closest to Jesus. They were the first skeptics that didn't know, remember what he had said. So here they go. They go out there early in the morning. They went and bought some spices. Now, these spices that they bought, they weren't just some little oregano that they was going to use to sprinkle on the dead body. See, when you bury a dead person or, or someone, especially a loved one, when you bury them, you take care of the body, you wash it, you clean it, and you wrap it up in, in uh, a linen, and then you wrap it up all the way and put spices all the way through, through this wrapping that they do. It kind of hel uh, helps cover the smell of death. Because there's nothing smells worse than dead. You ever gotten a, had a dead mouse in your house? And oh man, you think, man, I gotta find that dead mouse. It just stinks like crazy. Well, that's what death does, see? So they use spices thinking that would help hide death from them. We kind of, nowadays, we kind of put flowers all over the place to try and hide the ugliness of death. Because death isn't a pretty thing. I mean, if you're a Christian, it's, we have hope. So, hey, hallelujah, I'm, I'm grateful for the hope. But they went to expected to find Jesus' body. <clears throat> now, these women had, remember, these women had had their hearts ripped out. You know, they followed Jesus, they loved him, they sat at their feet, they supported him probably more than all the men did, and everything. And all of a sudden, here he is, he's dead, he's gone, he's buried. And so their hearts were just ripped out of their souls. And they, they were just, well, I imagine they were very depressed and grief-stricken. So can you imagine these women, they, they had their hearts ripped out like that, and now, two days later, they're going back to the tomb to anoint his body and to prepare it the way it should have been prepared in the first place. But they couldn't because of the Sabbath coming. It, they couldn't do that. It was illegal according to their custom. Now, to put that in our day and age, can you imagine you just buried your loved one? And you put him in there, and they put him in the ground, and they throw all the flowers on top of the grave, and then two days later you go back and they dig them back up and then you embalm them. Can you imagine how that would be hard on your heart to have to do that? To be able to, you know, to go through that? Well, that's what these women were planning on doing. They loved Jesus so much that they were willing to, to have their hearts ripped out again and be able to deal with a dead body. Even though how bad it stunk, they didn't care. Because they loved Jesus. <clears throat> Luke 4, 24, 5 we have, why do you look for the living among the dead? See, the angels had to, had to reroute them somewhere else because they were coming there with heavy hearts and they couldn't see anything except for their grief. And they were so sorrowful in coming. But when they got there, the stone was gone. Now, Jesus didn't need the stone removed so he could get out. It was removed so we could look in. That was the only reason that it happened. 
And so we have to remember that. Now, you, can you imagine if you go to your grave of your loved one, whether it be a child or a parent or whatever it is, and you go there a couple days later, and there's a, the grave's been undug, and the coffin's laying there, or the door open and it's empty? Can you imagine what it would do to your soul? What's going on here? What happened? Body snatchers or whatever. I don't understand what's going on. But that's what they saw when they went. That'd be the same reaction that they had then. <coughs> Some of us live today as though Jesus is still dead, don't we? <coughs> we live as though God expects us to do everything on our own. We live as if God won't take care of us. And we freak out over terrorism or crime because we don't know, oh man, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen? And we just, we just get terrified because of it. That's living like we have a dead Savior. In reality, we don't have to. That's how dead people act. We need to quit living as though Jesus is dead because he's still he's alive. <clears throat> Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, he went to, was invited to a panel discussion. And their topic for this panel was who killed Jesus? And so they had some of them that were kind of concerned, from the Passion of the Christ is what they were going to discuss, was the Passion of the Christ. A few years ago they had this. Anyway, and they asked the question. One guy said, well, we've got to make sure that this movie doesn't protege the Jews as the one that killed Jesus, because then it would cause anti-Semitism and people would be trying to kill Jews. Well, that's exactly what Hitler did, wasn't it? Tried to kill all the Jews. And then other people said, well, no, not really. It kind of put the Romans in a, in a bad light. They made it look like they're the ones that killed Jesus. And uh, Mel, but Mel Gibson, before he put the movie out, he told them the reason that he put it out. And he says, so we could see that Jesus died for all of our sins. So every one of us here is responsible for Christ's death. Every one of us. The other one's not responsible is the one that hasn't sinned. And that isn't me. I don't think anybody in here can say that. Amen? So we're the ones that killed Jesus. And they kept bickering back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Graham had enough. And he says, what difference does it make? He's not dead. See, we want to argue over stuff. We want to argue and the skeptics want to deter us into worrying about where the body was, like there was a murder case that needed to be solved. Well, you can't have a murder without a body. So we need to remember it doesn't matter who killed him or what happened transpired there. The fact remains that he's not dead. And the devil wants to get us distracted in searching for the body and searching for all these other things and reasons and things and wants us to get away from the realization that he's not dead. And I'm glad he's not dead. We'd have no hope if he was dead. We'd have nothing that we could look forward to if he was still dead. So I'm thankful he's not dead. And, the, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of the reasons that verify that Jesus rose from the dead. But I'm just going to ask one question this morning. Would you die for a lie? Would you let yourself be crucified upside down like Peter did for a lie? Would you let yourself be boiled in oil for a lie? We don't try to get out of, people try to get a lie to get out of punishment and persecution, not to gain it. So I wouldn't do any of that stuff for a lie. All they had to do was renounce the fact, hey, we show them the body. So that's the biggest reason I know, among the other reasons, is that there's a lot of them, 
that Jesus verified that he rose from the dead. Because I wouldn't die for a lie and neither would you. Luke 24, 6 through 8, it says, He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised. Then they remembered his words. See, sometimes you think, you know, why should I come to church? Why should I read my Bible? Why should I do any of this stuff? Well, the angels gave us the perfect answer right here. So we could be reminded of what Jesus said. So we can be reminded about the promises that we have because he died on a cross for our sin and he rose from the dead. Because he rose from the dead, we have our life. We have hope for the future. Without Jesus' death, there was no resurrection. See, we have a tendency to cherry-pick promises, don't we? We want to claim the promise, but we don't want if you do this, then you get this. We like the then, but we don't like the if. See, we forget that there's a battle before victory. There's sickness before healings. And there's mountaintops and valleys. We, we forget all that stuff because we think that, uh, that everyone that comes to Christ don't have any problems anymore. Now, if that was a reality and everybody that came to Christ and accepted him as a Savior had no more problems, had no more needs in their life, and everything was just a bowl of cherries, people would be coming to Christ for the stuff and not for salvation. And Jesus didn't die for stuff. He died so we could be saved. Now, he gives us a lot of things because he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we find what he gives us in Galatians 5, and 23. It said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. Those are the kind of gifts he gives. And if you just cherry-pick one of those out of there, peace, he gives us peace. We live in a world that doesn't have peace. Man, they're afraid all the time. They're afraid to ride in a fly in an airplane. They're afraid to do anything because a terrorist may kill them. See, as Christians, we don't have to worry about that. Because if we die, so what? We die. Then I get to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. I get to stand in his presence. So the downside is what? There is none. So they can't, they can't threaten us or, or get us, make us afraid of death. Because death is the victory that overcomes the world. And because Christ lived, we, we know that we're going to live also. Jesus did promise to meet our needs, and we know that he will. But the problem is sometimes we don't know what those needs are. And so we kind of ask for things, and we don't really know whether we need them or not. We think we need them. But all you got to do is realize that a two-year-old kid thinks that bleach under the, under, under the sink is something that it needs. And it may want that bleach and may try to get it. I don't care what, but we know it wouldn't be good for them. So sometimes God says no to things that we ask for because only he can see the future. And the things that we truly need, only God knows because he knows what's best for our lives. But he promised to meet our needs. And if you have a need this morning, he'll meet it this morning if you ask him to. See, Jesus rising from the dead guarantees our re resurrection and our reason for believing. And if you can't believe in the resurrection, then read, get all the evidence, get all the proof until you can satisfy that in your own soul. Amen? God promised eternal life and joy in heaven, and he's guaranteed it by an empty tomb. <clears throat> the women that went to the tomb that morning probably 
wondering what was the point in going on. All their hopes, all their dreams of deliverance and salvation was gone as they watched it die on a cross. And they thought, what's the use? Why bother? And maybe that's where you're here this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, you know, why bother? You know, my life's not, not very good right now. I have so many problems and things that I'm going through. And God doesn't seem like he cares. Why bother? Why bother? I don't have any hope. But the reality is that we have an empty tomb. And what a difference an empty tomb makes, right? Amen. They went there all grief-sticking and troubled and, and thinking their life was over and they didn't care about anything and depressed. And an empty tomb changed their life. And we as Christians, an empty tomb has changed our life because we're not under the pressures of this world. We have hope beyond the grave. And we have a God that's alive. I don't serve a dead God. If I had a dead God, I'd, I wouldn't serve him. I like life. And God gives us life through the Holy Spirit. You know, there's so many beautiful churches in Europe. If you've ever been there or in, even in Israel, there's so many beautiful churches that the Catholic Church has, has, has built. And you sit there and you go in, and then they're so beautiful. But yet there's no life there. All they are is beautiful buildings, but they're filled with death. There's no life there. I don't want our church to be filled with death. I want it to be filled with life because we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, no matter what men may say. Men may try to tell you he's not, but when you become a Christian and you feel the Holy Spirit in your life and he breathes life into your souls and into your spirit, you know he's alive. And that life changes our life. They were excited and ran to tell his disciples the good news. There are a lot of people who studied life after death. I don't know whether you've read any of their books or seen some of their movies. Trying to figure out if their life after death. Well, Jesus is our proof that there is. And no one can disprove the resurrection, no matter what anybody says you, tells you. They can't disprove it. There's too much evidence to the fact that he was alive and there was over 500 that seen him rise when he went back to heaven. Follow over 500 at one time. And in John 20, verse 19 and 20, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. When we become a Christian and the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that he's alive. And see, we have a greater reward for us because we believe and we have not seen. That's what faith is. We believe in without seeing. I can't see the electricity that goes through these lights, but I can see the effect of them. And that's enough proof for me that there's somewhere through there, there's some lines and there's some power attached to them. And our life is different because Jesus lives. Not only our life now. See, our life now, he wants to make better. Not just our life in the future. He said, I give you life and give you more abundantly. That's above all that you could ask or even think. That's what he wants to give to each one of us this morning. And if you're still dealing in death this morning, I want to remind you that he's not here. We're looking for life where, where there's death. And we don't need to do that because we serve 
a risen Savior. Let's pray. Our best heaven,